Let's finish today talking about perspective. How many of you have been here with me talking about how important your perspective is? The way you see things is the way you learn. If your perspective is wrong, you won't learn. You won't receive. You won't get new truth. So Jesus said, be careful how you hear. And he talked about it. And we gave you some examples from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where Jesus is over at the Pharisee's house and that woman comes in and she falls down behind him. She begins to weep. She washes his feet. And of course, Simon says in his heart, you know, if this guy knew who this woman was, that she's so dirty, he would never let her touch him. So he's obviously not a man of God. He's obviously not a prophet. And so Jesus then turns around and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, And we go through the discourse. But I gave you Four perspectives in that chapter. The first perspective was John the Baptist, who wasn't sure that Jesus was doing the right things, and he was in danger of being offended because Jesus wasn't doing what John thought he should. Same thing with us. Do you get offended when God doesn't do what you think he should? That's a lesson for us. The second group in the second perspective was the Pharisees. The Pharisees' perspective is, I'm always right. I've been in the game a long time, and I have the right to judge others and see what they're doing wrong. The issue with that is it prohibits learning more from God. The third perspective was the woman who washed his feet. Extreme affection, extreme gratitude, resulting in a profound experience, her sins get forgiven because of her gratitude, which provoked the humility. And of course, the last perspective is Jesus' perspective, and his perspective is this, What's happening in the heart is the most important thing. What's actually happening in the heart of the person. Then we shared from Luke chapter 8 and verse 16, where Jesus highlights that the way we see things is the way we'll receive from God, and that determines the light that's in us. So I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, just because he brings out an inflection here that, that is good. And let me say something about translations. I... When I started into this 40 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of translations out. And there was beliefs that, if, that you could only use one translation. That if you, didn't use, if you didn't use our translation, then your translation was wrong. I remember when the NIV first came out, that it caused a bit of an uproar because it was like, wait a minute, this is way different. And so they called it a paraphrase. What's a paraphrase? It takes, it takes a concept and shares that concept, whereas something like the King James Version or the New American Standard, they don't deal as much in concepts as they do the actual transliteration from the Greek or the Hebrew into English. And so I've watched this thing about translations for the last 35 years and realized that there are certain principles of, of translating scripture that there are certain ones that you can't just add things to the thought to make it something completely different. But there's two schools of thought. One is you have, to, you have to translate the Bible exactly like it is, and you can't ever vary from it. And the other one is that you, there's a lot of leeway in what the Scripture actually says. For instance, the word love is translated by four different words. In the, in the Greek, there's four different words that translate into our word love. And the same is in the Hebrew. So let me just say this, because somebody emailed me this week about, you know, this, some guys all bent out of shape about the Passion Translation. And, and I was like, well, 
They said, well, they should have called it a paraphrase because he puts too much of his own thinking or his own revelation into it. And that can be a danger. <clears throat> but the Jehovah Witness put too much of their interpretation into their Bible too. So it's, it, 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 there's a line there. And let, let me encourage you, God's view, and I, I say this to people that I believe are hungry for truth and not looking for an excuse to believe anything that they want and go wacko chicken, that God's view of his word is broader than ours. So when he says something, there's many more meanings in it than just what you read on the surface. And if you limit that scripture to the one thing that you learned in Bible school or the one thing that then we tend to become very strict on that and don't allow for new revelation. I remember the first ministry position that I was in, uh, I got talking to the, the lead pastor about this. It was a little church, 100, 150 of us. And uh, we got talking about this, and, and I said, well, what about when you're, because he was saying, this is the way it is, and it's very, you know, this is the way the Bible is, and you can't vary on that. And I said, well, what about when you're praying and you study and you get revelation on a scripture? This is, this is over 35 years ago. He said, well, no, people don't get revelation anymore. The revelation is already all done, but now you can get illumination. And I was like, so we're splitting semantical hairs here. We're, 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 we're splitting. Let me give you a good sort of a ground rule. You can receive something from any translation. Do some of them, I've read some, uh, you know, when the NIV first came out, those of us that were strictly uh, New King James and, and that, we called it the non-inspired version. Do you get it? And I, just check it. Is it? No, but it takes a different format to bring concepts over to people. So when somebody gets newly born again and they say, what kind of Bible should I get? I'll often tell them, get the NIV, get the message Bible, get something that's easy to read that gives you the concepts of, of what this is. So don't get bent out of shape about this translation or that translation. Stay in the middle of the road. Realize that every translation has an inflection, especially now, because what, what, you, what you have happening now is you have well-known ministers with big churches in the world doing their own translation with all of their little notes and everything in it. Well, I've read some of those, and I thought, well, that's nice, but there's so much more in that scripture than what you put down. So if I limit myself to what you put in that scripture, then I would never pray in tongues. Right? Just because of these perspectives. So I say that because I've gotten a couple of emails in the last little while about people like, well, what about this translation? I hear it said this and this and this and this. Chew the hay and spit out the sticks. That's have as much sense as an old cow. Amen? Did you get that? Okay. The funny thing is, if you go online now, you've got everybody with every opinion about every kind of translation in the world, and some of them have been saved for five years, and I'm like, dude, the very question that you're asking reveals that you're a baby Christian. Go and learn and be quiet for 15 more years, and then come out. That's my little bias coming out there. <clears throat> I like the wording, say, passion translation of Luke 8, 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it covering it over or putting it where its light won't be seen. No, the lamp is placed on a lampstand so others are able to benefit from its brightness. Because this revelation lamp now shines within you, nothing will be hidden from you. It will all be revealed. 
every secret of the kingdom will be unveiled and out in the open made known by the revelation light. So pay careful attention to your hearts as you hear my teaching. For to those who have open hearts, even more revelation will be given to them until it overflows. For those who do not listen with open hearts, what little light they imagine they have, <clears throat> or they imagine to have, will be taken away. And so we used last week things like prejudice to illustrate how our thinking can be so twisted that we become, we become unable to receive truth unless our whole perspective, our thought process becomes dismantled by this truth. And of course, if you're saved and you've been saved for any length of time, I, I, I use prejudice because it's so popular in our world, you should be walking without prejudice. Now, for some of you who've come from countries where there's a very strong racial divide, it'll be harder for you and it'll take you longer because you grew up with it. You grew up with a prejudice against another color. Could be white, could be black, could be red, doesn't matter the color. But as we grow in Christ, that prejudice should be replaced by God's love for all people because all people are made in his image. Am I making sense? Okay, so until, until your untruth is dismantled by the truth, you will continue to see things in a skewed way. And that's the point that we've been making. People, I learned this years ago, people change when they learn enough to be able to or when they hurt enough, they have to. And I've watched that as a pastor so many times, even watched it in my own life. <clears throat> Remember this, no identity be it racial, cultural, intellectual, or any other, should define my perspective over who I am in Christ. There should be no other. I said this before. I want you guys to get it, and that's why I say it every once in a while, that, that you are not a white believer or a black believer. You're not a, a, a Nigerian believer or a Canadian believer or a Filipino believer or a Spanish believer. As soon as you put something in front of believer, then you determine your believerism by your culture. And heaven's culture puts heaven's who you are in Christ in front of everything else. Can you, does that make sense to everybody? Y'all see that. So don't see yourself as, well, I'm a Kenyan believer. I was raised in Kenya. I'm, I'm Kenyan and I received Jesus. No, you step out of Kenyanism into heavenism. Come on. You step out of that into who I am in Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, barbarian, Scythian, etc. Right? Okay, somebody says, great. How do I do it? How do I get a new perspective? Does the Bible show us what we can actually practically do to begin to shift our perspective? Thank God for Paul and the revelation that he got. Go with me to Ephesians chapter four. How do I change my perspective? <clears throat> I found, this isn't in my notes, but I found this out years ago. This was helpful to me. You don't change thoughts with thoughts. You don't change bad thoughts with good thoughts. Because what will happen is the thoughts will just go round and around and around and around and around. You know that thing where you got on, on, in the movies, you know, where you got the little devil on one, one shoulder and the little angel on the other? And the devil goes, oh, you should totally do it. Go ahead, do it. No one will know. And the angel's going, don't do it. You know you're not supposed to do it. It's bad if you do it. And you're going, ah, oh, ooh, ah, eh, oh, yeah, hmm, I shouldn't. Oh, yeah, but if I do, right? Back and forth. Uh, you can't change bad thoughts by thinking good thoughts. What changes thoughts is words. 
That's why Jesus said, speaking of bad thoughts, take no thought saying. Because the way you take a thought is when you say it. So if you have to change thoughts, you have to change what you say. When you change what you say, the two places that faith has to be for it to work kick in. Faith has to be in the heart and in the mouth for it to work. So you initiate faith by saying words that are in the name of Jesus. I'll give you a for instance. Many years ago, I, I realized I, I, was, I was praying in tongues a lot every morning. We, I worked at 7 o'clock, so I had to get up at like 530 I didn't even know there was two 530s. I get up, and, I, and so I thought, I'm going to get up and pray in tongues. I know one guy, you know, uh, and I, if I'm sitting up, I won't fall asleep. So that's a benefit for that. Unless I'm on an airplane going to the other side of the world, then it's not a benefit. 12 hours on an airplane, you know. But I, I realized as I was praying that I had to change my response to other people because I was too quick to judge. And I was too quick to compare. And... So I asked the Lord, I said, what am I supposed to do? And in my reading, I don't remember what it was, shortly after that, I was reading 1 Corinthians 13. And I had put in my Bible, I, 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 I photocopied 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, out of the Amplified, and then I cut that little piece of paper and I slid it in there, and I realized what the Lord was telling me is, you need to, be, you, you need to begin to say over yourself what love is. You need to begin to say, and so I began to say it, and I said it every day, and then we taught it to our kids. We, I, I put it in a rap format for my kids when they were in um, elementary school. I endure long, and I'm patient and kind. I never am envious or jealous, and, don't, and on and on. But, but, but what built that up was, was me saying, I endure long, and I said it over myself because God's love is in me, right? That the love of God has been imparted into our hearts. So I said Every day on the way to work, I endure long and I'm patient and kind. I never am envious and I do not boil over with jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious and I do not display myself haughtily. I'm not conceited or arrogant or inflated with pride. I'm not rude or unmannerly and I do not act unbecomingly. Here was a hard one. I take no account of the evil that's done to me. I pay no attention to a suffered wrong. That's like a jet flying over your head. Boy, I mean, you watch that one and think, yeah, I'm going to be like that. But you know what? After saying it for days and weeks and months and years, I found out that what God was doing with my words out of the heart, the abundance of the mouth speaks that my, my, my reaction time to get mad at somebody was slowing down. So I wasn't so quick to react. There was, a, there was a pause there as this thing came up on the inside and said, I take no account of the evil that's done to me. I pay no attention to a suffered wrong. Whew, just take that one all by itself for the next six weeks. Pay no attention to a suffered wrong and watch what happens to you when people come up and you go, I, I can't pay attention to that. Hi, how are you? Right? It'll, it, you change thoughts by words. If you change thoughts and words, you change behavior. When you change behavior, you change patterns. And when you change patterns, you change lifestyle. Yeah. You're following me? Yes. Okay. So how do I do this? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Did I tell you to go to Ephesians 4? Yeah. Okay. Verse 11. He himself, that's Jesus, speaking of Jesus, raised from the dead. He gave gifts unto man. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So Paul identifies the purpose of the five-fold ministry, which are called to teach and train the body of Christ. It's interesting, just for those of you that 
uh, have a, a, a sense of a call to the ministry, the only and that's in there is between pastors and teachers. Meaning that there should always be some form of teaching gift that works for the shepherd because the shepherd feeds the sheep and the sheep are fed by teaching. Preaching exhorts you, encourages you. Like when John got up this morning and was just laying it out. You know, God's goodness. Did you notice there was a, after we caught it after a few minutes, there was a, yeah, whoa, yeah, come on. So, so preaching exhorts and builds up and, and, or, or exhorts and, and makes you want to get out and do it. And teaching builds precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. So you'll find with the pure pastor gift that there's always a teacher gift in there somewhere. There's always an ability to teach. <clears throat> Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. i got to read it slower because there's so much here. You've given us these five gifts for the equipping of us, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Hmm. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. Isn't that what that says? Equip the saints. For the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith. Wow. Do you know what? We'll never come to the unity of our doctrine. Because it doesn't tell us to come to the unity of our doctrine. It tells us to come to the unity of our faith. And that's the basics that we stand on and we never vary from. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. The better word there is complete when you read that to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Why? Because children are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. What did I just talk about? How do we change our perspective? Speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things into him who is the head. Did you ever notice that you can be really strong in one part of your Christianity and really weak in another? I saw a picture one time. It wasn't a vision. It was just a simple picture when I was asking the Lord to illustrate this. And I saw those, um, those tubes, not like a beaker, but not a beaker that we used to use in chemistry. And there was a whole bunch of these tubes and they, they all have delineations on them. There's marks on them of how many um, milliliters are in there and all that sort of thing. And it had all these tubes and then underneath the tube was written different words. One was faith. One was character. One was love. One was um, um, prayer. One was, and it was all these different parts of the, of the area. And, I, and the picture that I saw, the tubes all had different levels of liquid in them. And I realized something, that you can be really strong in faith over here in something, but almost have none over here in something. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not like, okay, well, all the tubes have to be full the whole way. I believe that there are certain things where God wants us as individuals to know more. There's certain things that, that he says, okay, you're, you're calling. I need tubes one and three full all the way up. Tubes seven and nine, I want you to have some understanding there, but one and three are important. And of course, as we seek the will of God, and those are the things that we find out. But you can be strong in one part and not strong in another. Maturity does bring a mean level of tubage <laughs> to all of us. 
right? Because we mature. You just, I mean, you stand on a street corner long enough, you learn some stuff. Let's keep reading. We grow up in all things, all tubes, into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. This causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, huge mouthful. I've got a whole series on what that just said right there because there's so much in that. It's interesting to me that the body is joined and knit together not by what the parts supply, your part, my part, his part, but what the joints supply. That means the body is strengthened by the place where you and I come together. The weakest part of our body is the joints. The weakest part of a train is the joints. The weakest part of your arm is the joint. And God says, when my people come together and each part does what it's supposed to, the body is strengthened by the strength of the joints. In other words, your calling and my calling, although they're different, we agree to walk together on something that, you know, maybe, maybe one person's strength is prophecy and the other person's strength is healing, but we allow each other to work in our lane and we don't try and infringe on that. Well, prophecy's better than healing because prophecy speaks to people's hearts, you know? Well, no, healing is better because how can they hear your dumb prophecy if they're too hurting to hear it, <laughs> right? And this is where in the body of Christ we haven't done very good in the past. We, we, we compare ourselves with what you don't believe like I do. When you don't believe like I do, then I can't walk with you. We're coming to the great last day's war where all of that extraneous stuff is gonna be put aside because we're gonna have to walk together with other people who have the same values that we do. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And right now we've got globalist governments trying to take place all over the world that the church has to, for the first time globally, has to stand up and put our stupid little differences aside and say, we don't believe in that sex education. We don't believe in those gender lies. We don't believe in the things that the government wants to do with our lives and our kids. So we're saying no. And I'm actually going to spend some time in September and talk about some of the hot topics like abortion, the gender issues, persecution. Is persecution coming? I got an email this week from people. We have churches in Pakistan. In Pakistan, they're burning churches right now. They've burned 50 to 25 different churches in one region. And in our victory churches in Pakistan, many of the women and children have left to go to a safer area because it's, it's dangerous right now. And if you don't think that that's not going to come in some form here, it's already coming. To, to this nation because, again, of the globalist agenda that's happening and, and the government that we presently have that's trying to give place to that. How to get on that? I don't know, but it's free. Okay, so he talks about us coming together doing those things. So here's basically what Paul just finished saying. If we know the truth and we walk in it by faith, it will cause us to mature to where the thoughts and the whims and the idea of men can't stop us from maturing into the purpose God has spoken over our lives. As we begin to mature into what God's purpose is for our lives, we become a blessing and a strength to the rest of the body of Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Now watch this. I hope you got it in your own Bible there. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Huh, how do the Gentiles walk, Paul? In the futility of their mind. 
remember, we're talking about perspective here. We're talking about the way you and I see things. And Paul just dropped a, a revelation bomb right there. He said, you will err if you walk in the futility of your mind. And he's just finished coming out of telling us what the fivefold ministry is for and how we're supposed to walk in the things that God has for us. And not only how, but not only what, but how to do it. Now he turns right around and says, here's what will stop it from happening. You walk in your mind. The mind here means the reasoning, understanding, and judging capacity within the soul. Right? The soul is three parts. The mind, the intellect, and the sensibilities. Easier said, the mind, the will, the ability to choose, and the sensibilities or the ability to feel, the feeling. We feel in, in our mind. If you walk in that restricted area, <clears throat> you will be programmed by the world, and then you'll find it very difficult to get things from heaven. That's what he's saying here. Now, I want you to notice the next four things he says in the next verse because it reveals a, pro a progression of how Satan blinds us. Let me say that again. He says four things in the next verse. And this four things reveals how Satan blinds people and even Christians to the truth. Verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Whoa, wait a minute. Blindness of the heart is perspective. Isn't it? Blindness of the heart means your heart can't see something. It's blind. It's dark. It's, there's darkness there. Your heart can't, can't see it. I used the illustration last week that if you, were, were, if you had a, a, a strong, overbearing father that was even abusive, verbally abusive or physically abusive, then you can't see other authority figures very often as beneficial because they're a danger. Right? Your hearts become blinded. But I was reading that many years ago, and I thought, wait a minute, there's, there's a bunch of becauses in there. When something is because of something else, it means the because came first. Right? Well, he's sick, or he's sore because he had a car accident. So the car accident came before the soreness. So he says, this is because of this, which is because of this. So, so what I did many years ago, I flipped that verse over and read it, the other way, because there's a progression of darkness. Let's read it that way. Because of, I'm reading it upside down, right? Are you with me? Because of the blindness of their heart, they've become ignorant of truth, which alienates them from the life of God and darkens their understanding. When your heart is blind, you become ignorant of truth. When you're ignorant of truth, you're alienated from the light or the life of God, and that results in an understanding that's darkened. It's a terrible syndrome. Can you see that? And all of this because they walk in the futility of your mind, of their mind. Remember, if you go all the way back to the garden, that when Adam fell, the Lord said to him, the Hebrew says this, that if you eat of that tree in dying, you shall die. Two deaths are spoken of. I remember when that first came out years ago, and then I saw it in Bible translations many years after that, a little side note on the side. Dying what? What part of Adam died? His spirit died, right? This is basic spiritology. We all know this. His spirit died. When his spirit died, if you can see it like this, God made us a spirit with a soul living in a body. 
When the spirit man died because of his transgression, the glory departed because the spirit man lost the life of God. And in a sense, the spirit man was confined to the basement, tied to a chair, bound and gagged. And all of a sudden, the soul is thrust into the position of determining and making decisions. The soul is thrust into the position of what do I do? Where do I go? What do I say? Adam named all of the animals because out of his spirit flowed the life of God. He looked at it and said, that's a giraffe. How did he know that? Because the life of God on the inside of his spirit said, that's a giraffe. That's a hippopotamus. Dear God, where would you ever come up with the word hippopotamus? I mean, of all things, you know, that's a lemur. Hmm, that's a wombat. That's one of my favorite ones, a wombat. What the heck? That's a wombat. And you could just see Eve looking over like, seriously? That creature has to live the rest of his life being called a wombat? Right? So when the spirit man fell, the soul was thrust into the position of leadership, but the soul is a computer that's programmable. So Adam suddenly said, when the, when the Lord said to him, where are you, Adam? He said, I'm afraid. Why? Because the glory that was the life of God in him departed and suddenly the soul was thrust into the beginning, was thrust into the position of premiership. Having that now happen, Satan has influence on the soul. So what you and I see today is the influence of social media, the influence of books and magazines and all that influencing the soul because the soul is programmable. So if you can say enough information and convince people, oh, this is what we need to do now. I remember when the masking thing came out and a year later, the World Health Organization put out a blurb that said, we cannot confirm that masking in any way detracts from or, or in any way protects the wearer from the transfer of this disease. I read it on their website. I was like, because they knew the truth all the way along. But there was an agenda, blah, 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 and all of that happened. But people got a hold of that because the information was, was pummeled on them. So so question is this, what programs your soul right now? CNN? CBC? YouTube? YouTube has over 2 billion users. Facebook? Instagram? What's programming your soul? Because to the degree that your soul is programmed by the social media of the world, to the same degree your spirit will stay bound and gagged and not have the life of God to say, wait a minute, that's not the truth in God. That's not right. Come on. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Who? being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. How do you get taught by Jesus? Well, one way is you're doing it right now. Right? For those of you that don't know, I'm not him. I just had to clarify that. People say, he said he was Jesus today. No, but I'm one of his sons. And I've gotten to know him pretty good over the last 40 years. Is there lots to learn? Oh, I feel like the more I learn, the less I know. <clears throat> but you read your own Bible. How do you get taught by Jesus? You read your Bible, and then when you walk out into your day, something that was in that Bible comes up. You have to give him opportunity to teach you, or you cannot help but be programmed by the world. Remember, we're talking about perspective here. 
what has created your perspective. Verse 22. And that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, you'll find this in Paul's epistles. The first half of Paul's epistles is usually theory. You read Paul's epistles, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The first half is theory. He'll say, here's who you are, like Ephesians especially. Here's who you are in Christ. And he goes into all these grandiose ideas that we're like, whoa, okay, that's nice, whatever. But then the last half of the book or the last half of his epistle, he goes into, now here's how you get that. What I told you about if any man be in Christ, here's how you get that. If you'll do this and this and this, you'll start to walk in that. <clears throat> now remember, he's talking about growing in truth, maturing as a believer. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The word spirit there simply means disposition, attitude, or perspective of your mind. Be renewed in the focus or the, the slant of your mind, the way you think. Be renewed in that. And that you put on the new man, which is creating according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, you guys should know that if you've been here for a while. Who's the new man? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. That's the new man. That's the new reborn spirit on the inside. And he's about to tell us how to do it. Remember this, you'll hear this from me several times over the course of a year. Spiritual things do not become a part of us until we do them. And that's a process. Let me, let me just say something to help you out. When you first start doing something, you'll see measured success because there's still the old part of the old man that's pulling on you saying, well, that, 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 that doesn't really work. You have to move slowly over into that. Thank God he gave us 70 to 80 years because it takes time for parts of us to be renewed. And oftentimes we'll do something in faith and we'll jump out and we'll stand on it, but we're not there yet. We're not there. We're, we're, we've, got, we've got one out of four faith going but that's all we've got. Well, don't quit. I said to people, don't, don't be upset with your faith failures. I've had so many faith failures that I lost count after a while, but I just thought, I'm just gonna keep getting up. And you know what? If it never happens until I die and go to heaven, I'm still gonna believe that that's what that says and that's what, what can happen. Why? Because I'd rather die in faith than unbelief. If I die in faith, I get rewarded. If I die in unbelief, he goes, I've got no pleasure in the people that draw back. I'm like, I hate that verse because I want to draw back right now. It's not easy. It's hard. But Paul, truth, so let me say it this way. Truth does not start working inside us until we do it. You can know you're not supposed to lie, but until you stop lying, the truth is just an intellectual thing. Now, I need... Two coats. M, I need your coat. And I need yours too, because hers is black and yours is white, and that is perfect. Yeah, let's bring it up. So, so Paul says something really interesting here. If you look at these verses, he talks about put off and put on, right? That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. So here's the old man. You guys wore the right color coats today. It's prophetic. <laughs> and the old man is, I can lie whenever I want to because I don't want to get in trouble. 
I lie on my taxes, man. I mean, you know, if the government ever knew how much I siphoned away over here, right? The old man, and Paul says in that next verse, therefore putting away lying or putting off lying. So you've got to put that lying off and you've got to put on the new man. that's white and tells the truth. And the reason that we don't want to put on the new man is because if I, if I get caught, I'm going to have to fess up and it's going to cost me something. You know why we lie? We lie to avoid the consequence of what we did wrong. I told my kids this. I said, when you do something wrong and you know you did something that's a clear line here that you're not supposed to do, I said, then you need to let me know. Right? If they've broken something and nobody was home, you know, and they broke something or they... And I said, I said, if you do something wrong, you may or may not get spanked. Depending on what it was. You know, some things are a timeout and some things are okay. You, you know, you're grounded and some, all that. So we didn't spank our kids for everything. We spanked... Dobson says this, you spank your children for willful defiance. In other words, when they know they're not supposed to do it and they do right at you and do it anyways. That type, type of thing. That really helped me, you know. Of course, my kids were all angels. And <laughs> none of them are in the room right now. But, but we said to them, if you do something wrong and then you lie about it, you will always get spanked for lying. So they realized they had a 50-50 shot here on not getting spanked. So if I tell the truth, I may not get spanked. I may just, you know, blah, blah, blah. So Paul talks about this putting off and putting on. Let's go through this and look at it here as we finish up. Putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. So what happens? I put off lying. I choose not to do that. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that outside of the gates in heaven are all liars when it talks in Revelation? It doesn't mean there's a whole bunch of street liars outside the gate in heaven. For those of you that are wondering, man, I'm going to walk through that gate. No, he's talking about that people who constantly lie and develop a habit of lying. If you're a Christian, you will become so psyche-wawa after a while if you keep lying because your spirit will tell you every time, don't, 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 until you sear it and you can't hear it anymore. And at that point, the Lord has to do something drastic to get you to stop lying. God hates lying. Think about this. He said, Satan is the father of lies. So all of a sudden, you're walking in with your father, the devil. Are you here? Am I speaking the truth this morning? Okay. <clears throat> I choose to speak truth even when it makes me look bad. Let's keep going. Verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer but let him labor with his hands. So you come along and you have a great opportunity to have an argument because your wife is wrong. Let's use the other side. You have a great opportunity to win the argument because your husband's a meathead and he's stubborn and why can't he see that this is the way things work around here? And you want to just let him know, well, why do, I don't know why you always say it like that. You don't even have a clue what you're talking about and you want to start getting mad and being angry and the Bible says you have to put that off. And when that happens, you know that, that, that little rule that came out of the world about counting to 10? Yeah. You want to say something? That came from Jesus. 
Because in that 10 seconds, the Holy Ghost who lives on the inside of you goes, hey, shut up. And so in that 10 seconds, you take your putting off. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I put that off. And I put on the new man who lets no corrupt communication proceed out of his mouth. You know what my wife had to, and I had to do with this when we first learned some of this? We'd been married a year and a half. And we, we, we developed, we went to counseling because we were having discussions. <laughs> and they got a little heated. And you know when they're getting heated when you're saying words that are accusatory and you're just throwing bombs, right? Once you start throwing bombs. And, and we came up with a little phrase. And that phrase was, we were out, uh, talking after a counseling session, so neither of us was mad. And we said, look, we need to have a trigger that says, we can't keep going or I'm going to fight. I'm going to say things. And so we talked about it for a few minutes. And, and then what we came up with was, this is not a good time to talk about it. So if either one of us said, this is not a good time to talk about it, that was the trigger that said, if this keeps going, you're about to get blasted, boy. And so that's, that's what we both use. And I remember <clears throat> the first time that she said it. Because, <laughs> man, I, would, I mean, the artillery shack was open, boy. I was, pulling, I was rolling back the doors, and I was getting ready. And, and, and I could see her, you know, the, you know how the ladies do it in the kitchen? I'll go up here. They're in the kitchen, and they're stirring the pot, you know. <laughs> and then they're stirring the pot, boy. <laughs> and once you see the hen starting to go like a beater, guys, leave the house. You about to go down. She's stirring the pot. And I'm, 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 we were talking back and forth. And I'm like, and she's like, and I could see her. She goes, this is not a good time to talk about it. And I was like, I hate that. Because I wanted to talk about it. Because I was mad. But until you can cut that emotional thing off and bring it back down to where you can connect. So that was our little thing to put off. Put off the anger at that moment and put on forgiveness. You are never going to forget the black coat and the white coat. You might forget everything else about what I preach today, but you're going to remember that black coat the next time you get to that. And the Lord will bring that black coat and you'll be like, oh. Stand up with me. We won't get to it, but I love what uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You know what children do? They imitate their parents. And I was reading that this week, and I saw something I never saw before. You imitate the right thing until it becomes a part of you. So what if you get one out of four right? What if you imitate once? You win one. Well, you got one out of four, but before it was always four arguments. But now you got one. You keep imitating. Why? Because you keep doing the right thing. Pretty soon you'll get two out of four. Then you'll get three out of four. And when you die and go to heaven, you get four. No, hopefully you'll get it before that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for helping us, even as Paul talked about here, to, to move into that changing perspective that you've actually given us tools 
to be able to say, I'm going to put off that behavior. I'm going to put off shame. Some of you need to put shame off and say, no, I'm not going to put shame on anymore. I'm going to put, put on acceptance and joy. And some of you need to put off unforgiveness. Lord, I'm not going to give place to that. I choose to put it off. So Holy Spirit, whatever it is right now that, that you are working with us on to help us change our perspective. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us here is taught of Jesus because we have a Bible time. We have a prayer time. We have time that we spend with you so that we can walk with you and become more like you. Thank you for speaking to the hearts of your people, Holy Spirit, as we walk out this week. Remind us as we get in the car and as we talk to our boss and as we talk to our spouse and talk to our kids. Remind us of how to put off the old man and put on the new. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Pastor John is here, and, and uh, we've gone a little bit over, and so if you can come up and see Pastor John and just say, look, I'm interested in getting to know Jesus, and what do I have to do? Then come on up, and Pastor John will lead you through and give you some material, and you walk into a brand new life. I speak over you this morning the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you need some prayer, we've got some prayers this morning. Come on up. If you need prayer, don't walk out. Come up and get somebody to pray for you and believe with you in the Spirit. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store, follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call, or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.